0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Friday edition of the John Sanchez Show podcast. The following program is sponsored by Sanchez Wealth Management. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Further information is available by contacting John at SanchezWealthManagement.com or by calling 800-1801. John Sanchez is a registered representative offering securities and advisory services through Independent Financial Group, LLC, a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor. Member FINRA... SIPC, securities only offered in states John Sanchez is registered in. Now, the John Sanchez Show on News Talk 780 KOH. Good Friday evening to you. Welcome to the John Sanchez Show on News Talk 780 KOH. And as Jeff just said, happy pre New Year to all of you. We have a great, safe weekend. All right, welcome again. Thank you for joining me tonight. Sure do appreciate it to wrap up the day, wrap up the week, wrap up the month, and wrap up the year from a trading perspective. And what a year it has been. What a year. I am going to title this trading year with the following topic. 5 days that killed the year. 5 days that killed the year. What am I talking about? The S&P 500 finished the year down 19.4%. 5 trading days this year 5 that's it equated to a 20% loss for the S&P 500 so think about that for just a second it only took 5 days for the S&P to lose 20% that's it that's how concentrated this year was that's how again just massive moves as we all experienced in 2022 big day moves Big, big day moves, both for the averages as well as individual stocks. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to go back, as I always like to do at the end of a year, and, and really talk about you know what went right and what went wrong. Unfortunately, and I don't want to be pessimistic by any means, the what went wrong <laughs> is is a lot larger list than what went right, because there wasn't a lot of things that went right. There really wasn't it, the, the year started off, you know, in a, on a weak fashion, as I mentioned last night on the show, you know, January started off uh, with a pretty good loss and we just never really could garner much attention, uh, and traction on the upside. It, it just was one of those years. Now, before I get to, you know, what happened this year and, and, and kind of summarize those big loss days, et cetera, keep this in mind, you know, we got to look forward to next year, right? We can't, we can't drive the car by looking in the rearview mirror. We got to look through the windshield. So we got to focus on next year. Now, I'll tell you right up front, I don't think anybody has a clue what's going to happen next year. We have some indicators, but I think as we learned in 2022, some of those indicators just aren't coming, you know, a fruition. They just don't work like they normally did. And historically. So there's a camp out there right now that says, hey, you know what? Next year should be decent for the market. You know, high single digit, low double digit return numbers, simply because the Fed's going to be out of the picture. They're saying the Fed is not going to be, um, you know, driving the buses as they did this year. Now, you got another camp that says just the opposite. Now, remember, Powell and the crew have said, look, we've got maybe about another half to three quarters of a percent increase in the Fed funds rate remaining in 2023 and then pause or maybe they'll cut depending upon what's going on in the economy. That's that one camp. The other camp says the Fed doesn't have any clue what they're doing. And as long as they continue to see inflationary data run up, they're going to be continuing to be aggressive and raising interest rates. So who knows how many more times. But the bottom line is, you you don't like to go into a new year with so many unknowns. Now, let me give you a positive. Okay? And that's going to be, believe it or not, Washington, D.C. We're back to the split Congress. We know things don't get done there. So some of the things now Biden did sign some things here, here towards the end. But yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens, uh, uh, what the Republican side of it does uh, going forward in 2023 is as far as uh, various things. There's there's a lot of changes. And again, we'll cover these at the beginning of, uh, of next year for you. So you're up to date on. And know uh, what Biden has signed and how they uh, will impact you we will go over contribution limits and so on and so forth for 401ks IRAs. We'll do all that, of course, uh, next week. But the bottom line is there is just a tremendous amount of confusion as to what this economy, what this market is going to bring us next year. So my best advice is. Again, you play it close to the vest, as we've been saying all year long. Don't hesitate to, you know, have cash on hand, build up a cash position. Don't hesitate to have defensive positions. Don't hesitate to, you know, really take a look and see what you have. I mean, this is a great weekend to do this. You know, what do you have in your portfolio? What's the outlook for those stocks or ETFs or mutual funds as far as the sector is concerned going forward for next year? And then come the opening bell on Tuesday morning. Make a decision. You want more of the of the holdings. You want less. You want to just hold what you have, but you you got to kind of take a look and see you know where you are from a risk tolerance standpoint, and then try to you know manipulate. I usually don't like to make major portfolio moves in January because it's too hard, right? It, it, again, you're everybody's trying to get the deck shuffled correctly, basically. And it's really hard to see where the direction things are going to go. So if you are going to make changes in January, make a minor. You know, give this market a little bit of chance. Wait till maybe February or March, you know, kind of towards the end of the first quarter and see where things are. But the bottom line is don't go into 2023 thinking, hey, the Fed's out of the picture or the Fed's going to be our enemy. No one knows at this point. They really don't. So with that said, stay optimistic. We still got a lot of good things going on in the economy. We do have our challenges, but like we've done, you know, (laughs) year after year after year after year, this market has a great way of overcoming some of these challenges. And again, you got to pay attention and find out where those opportunities are, because there's always opportunities. And again, it's just a great time right now to sit back and say, okay, you know, my position where I want to be, or do I need to make some changes? All right, so that's kind of the positive. And I know it's not real, real optimistic, but that's the best I can do for you to, you know, not to sugarcoat anything. So now we need to come over to the negative side. As I said, one of the negatives, camp out there says, it's just going to be more the same, a very aggressive Fed. It's going to have an impact on technology names, going to bring the NASDAQ down. Okay, we've heard that one before. We'll see, right? No one knows. But what we do know is what happened this year. So I've got a lot of things to share with you before I get to the five days that killed the year. So let's start off with how did we finish up on a year-to-date basis for the major averages? And this kind of sets the table going forward to next week. So for the year, the Dow ended up being our best performer. Wasn't all that bad, actually. Not even a 10% loss. Dow Jones Industrial Average finished down 8.8% year-to-date. The S&P, as I've mentioned, down 19.4. The Small Cap Russell 2000 Index, down 21.6. And the granddaddy of it all was the NASDAQ, down 33.1. Now, I will tell you, just a little behind the scenes here, I love starting to dip my toes into technology names and major names of the NASDAQ after a down year. Not saying that it's over with, but... You know, as I heard one analyst uh, say today on, uh, I think it was on CNBC, you know, historically, usually when it's there's a down year in the NASDAQ, usually the next year it's going to be up. I, I don't, I, I didn't validate that. I'm just kind of going off of memory. So there's one positive, I guess we can say is look at NASDAQ lost 33%. What's it going to lose? Another 20, 30% next year? Or does it have more odds of maybe going up five, six, 10%? I think it's the latter. Okay. So. That's where the problem was, right? NASDAQ was the worst performer, like I said, down 33.1%. Let's go to the bond market side, because this is, again, one of the major culprits to the weakness of the stock market side. I was blown away. I, sorry to use such you know, slang language with you, but absolutely blown away when I ran the numbers as far as how much the bond yields have risen this year. Okay, so listen closely to me, but as I go through these numbers, because it's really fascinating. So let's start off with the ever so important 10-year treasury. Okay, so again, what mortgage companies look at, et cetera. Today, 10-year treasury yield, had, you know, all of them had a pretty aggressive day, rose five basis points today to finish the year at a yield of 3.88%. Okay, 13 basis point increase for the week. Now remember, there's 100 basis points and 1%. So for the week the 10-year treasury yield rose 13 basis points. Pretty big movement. But here's the year number. For the year, the 10-year treasury rose 237 basis points for the year, or 2.37%. In one year. In one year. Again, massive move. But if you think that's crazy... Listen to the shorter end of the curve, right? We've had some periods where, and we, we're still kind of dealing with it, where we have that inversion, which is where the shorter end of the yield curve, the two-year maturities and five years yield more than the longer maturities, like the tens and the thirties. Shouldn't be that way. And we always said that's a, historically, it's been a pretty good, accurate indicator of a, of a recession at some point. Well, we are, we are inverted right now uh, on a number of the different maturities, So I won't bore you with that. So let me actually take this break, and when we come back, we will uh, go down to the short end of the curve. And you think, again, that movement on the 10-year was a big one, which I tell you what these uh, two threes and, and fives did. Fascinating. Welcome back to the John Sanchez Show on talk 780. KOH, a 73 point decline on the Dow today. NASDAQ lost 12. s&p gave up 10. Uh, we were down almost 400 at our worst level. Luckily, in the last hour, we got one heck of a, I'll call it a little mini Santa Claus rally, but still finished down for the day. Oil was quiet, up 1.1% to 79.29 a barrel. Same with gold, barely budged, uh, finished up at uh, 18.26.20 an ounce. Now, we're tackling the bond market. As you've heard us discuss numerous times this week, um where the money's going on the bond market side is what we call the shorter end of the curve the 2 year maturity of treasuries 3 5 etc um why because it's liquid it doesn't move well It's not supposed to, but I was going to say it doesn't move quite as much as, uh, uh, you know, maybe the 10-year does. But we have had some time periods where it has, so that's not a real accurate statement. But the bottom line is the institutional money is flowing into that area, at least, you know, based upon the various maturities. So I told you the 10-year, again, for the year was up 237 basis points. The two-year today, up five basis points, finished at 4.42%. Now, the 10-year finished at 3.88% today. Okay, so again, give the government your money for two years. They're going to pay you 4.42% per year. Ain't too shabby, right? Now, for the week, the two-year was up 10 basis points. But for the year, 369 basis point increase on that yield, or 3.69%. Historical. Historical. Absolutely historical. And that was our biggest mover. Uh, not far behind the three-year was up 328 basis points for the year and right on down the line. 30-year was only up 207 basis points or 2.07%. So you see where the, the money, again, uh, really focused in on it this year. People didn't want to tie their money up in the longer-dated maturities, the 10, the 30, but uh, but they want to stay the short end. And, boy, did they ever. And, like I said, nice uh, nice substantial yield. And, you know, one of the problems, of course, is, and and it's it's pretty much there, and that is the bond market. When you start getting these yields, you know, especially four little, almost four and a half percent for two years, that starts to become competition for dividend paying stocks and the stock market. People go look at, government's never defaulted on a on a government note or treasury or bond. Heck, if I can get four you know four four and a half percent, I don't have to worry about the gyrations of the stock market. I'll take it. So they take their money out of the equity side of the equation and they put it in the bond market side. And that's again, with a lot of things that we've seen this year. All right. So that's where we sit. Now I do want to mention before I forget, it just popped into my head. Um, take a look. I want to see, bear with me one second. I, like I said, I did not think to, oh, here we go. Um story popped up, uh, I picked it up off of CNBC, so this was uh it looks like about 2:32 our time today. Title of the article as I have been subtly you know, warning all of you this week regarding COVID in China. Here's the title of the article. Highly immune evasive Omicron XBB.1.5 variant is quickly becoming dominant in the U.S. as it doubles weekly. You got to read about it. Um, This thing is nasty. It's there's, you know, depending upon what medical journal I was looking at at a few of these, one from Columbia University, etc. The current vaccines and boosters aren't having any impact the way the um, this this variant attaches to cells, et cetera. So what's out there right now, not doing much of anything. And again, we are seeing now 40, we, over the past week, we've had uh, 41% new cases in the U.S., according to CDC data released today. So it's coming. I, like I said, please, please, please think about it and, and prepare, you know, in, in many different ways. Um, there, there, again, there's just no doubt in my mind that we are going to see these cases begin to surge here in the U.S. And, and within the next months to two months, in my opinion. Okay, enough of that. I Like I said, I, that popped into my head, and I wanted to mention that. Now, let's get down to our topic of the evening. The five days that killed the stock market this year. As I indicated at the beginning of the show, what was fascinating is... As I go through these five days and what caused the sell-off, how big was the sell-off, etc. you tally it all up and these five days equate to a 20% decline for the S&P 500. So pretty amazing to look and see how just five days can have such a devastating effect. So this data is coming from Datatrek and their co-founder, Nicholas Kolos. He published a note that I, uh, I came across, uh, it was on Wednesday. And this data is saying, again, five days that killed the stock market. Two of those days were caused by disappointing inflation data, meaning high inflation data. The others were triggered by weak corporate earnings, as well as commentary from Mr. Jerome Powell. See how simple that is? Five days, 20% loss, the loss for the year. What caused it? Bad inflationary data, weak corporate earnings, commentary, and then, of course, Mr. Powell. On the worst day for stocks since the year of 2020, the release of the August U.S. Consumer Price Index report sent traders into a panic, if you remember. when The data showed annual headlines and core inflation running hotter than expected. The headline number came in at 8.3 percent for 12 months through August. Core inflation, which is where you strip out the uh, volatile food and energy, accelerated 6.3 percent. Now economists and analysts were particularly rattled by the monthly core inflationary number, which came in at a gain of six-tenths of a percent, double the expected three-tenths of a percent. And then that of course stoked concerns about high housing costs, high energy prices, on and on and on. So, what were these five days that, when totaled together, equate to 20%? Let me get the first one out of the way, then we'll take our bottom of the hour break. So, the first sell-off of the five days occurred on April the 29th. That day alone, the S&P lost 3.6%. What was the catalyst? Corporate earning disappointment. But this time, the focus was on e-commerce, and the ripple effect sent many of the mega cap technology stocks down, down, down. So again, April 29th, down 3.6%. All right, let me squeeze in number two. Number two wasn't too long after that. That was May the 5th. Oh, you know what? Yeah, never mind. Actually, you know what? Let me back up. I want to go back to this April 29th, because I, I... Told you that was the mega cap names that that came down. Well, we, we had, I went back and I was looking at everything. Yeah, Target and Walmart, members of the consumer discretionary sector, they missed their earnings expectation for the first quarter. They uh, ended that day down, uh, on, again, April 29th. They were down 14%. It's biggest uh, That was uh, uh, for uh, Target and Walmart down about 14%. Biggest single session decline since 2006. Apple, Microsoft, and Google, uh, they were also down sharply. So that that was kind of the the stumbling point of the earnings season, or at least one of the earnings seasons that when we had those major misses on the retail side, i.e. Target and Walmart, and then on the technology side. And that kind of started that whole spinoff of uh, the tech names coming down. Okay. So that was one of the five days, again, down 3.6% on April the 29th. When we come back, hey, it only took about a week May 5th, our next big sell off. We'll tell you about it when we come back. Welcome back to the John Sanchez show on News Talk 780K. It's happy New Year to all of you. 74 point decline on the Dow, Nasdaq lost 12 points and the S&P down at 10. All right, we're recapping the 5 days that killed the stock market this year. 5 days, totaled 20% decline. So we're going through each of these days to refresh our memory as to what the heck caused the sell off to culminate to a 20% decline, which is, again, where the S&P finished down for the year. So before we went to break, we said you know the first one was, again, April 29th, 3.6% decline. What was the trigger point? Corporate earnings disappointment, um, focus on e-commerce and the ripple effect of uh, the mega cap technology names falling apart, that type of thing. So we'll call that one kind of a a, normal market type of uh, situation. But again, That's a massive loss on one day, 3.6%. All right, so that was the first day. Let's go to the second one, May the 5th. Markets tumbled 3.6% on May the 5th. So think about that. April 29th, down 3.9. Basically, a week later, down another 3.6. So here we are, let's see, seven, over almost 8% loss in a week. That's what this year was about. Now, what what happened there? On May the 5th, where we lost 3.6%, that was one day after Chairman Powell assured investors during his post-meeting press conference that the Fed was not considering rate hikes of greater than a half a percent, 50 basis points. Remember that? Market, oh, really? Nothing more than a half a percent? Well, of course, the statement didn't uh, actually come true. As the central bank went on to hike interest rates by three quarters of a percent or 75 basis points at the following four consecutive meetings. Now, think about that for a second. And this again, you know, kudos to all of us trying to figure out what Chairman Powell and the rest of the Fed's going to do. But when you have a Fed chairman that says we're not going to hike more than a half a percent and then they turn around and they hike three quarters of a percent. Not once, not twice, but at the next four consecutive meetings. How do you plan for that? You, you can't. right? We're supposed to be able to rely upon what the Fed chairman says. Didn't happen. All right. So that was our second massive loss of the, uh, of the year. Let's go to the next one. Oh, geez. May 18th. Just a little over another week later there. S&P in one day on the 18th. Lost 4%. You had retail giant Target. They missed their first quarter earnings expectation by a very wide margin. And that, of course, uh, elevated the worries that the consumer's not doing too well. They don't have much of an ability to cope with inflation. And then Walmart highlighted the similar concerns. So again, second time these retail companies sparked sell-off there. Okay, that was uh, May the 18th, down 4%. Okay, so here we are, you know, not even halfway through the year and look where we sit. Yeah, but down 11, 12% already. All right, let's go to the next day. Uh, That would be June the 13th. S&P lost 3.9% that day. Now, that day's punishing sell-off was also triggered by the release of CPI data. Numbers for the month of May came in higher than expectation. S&P finished the session in bear market territory. Remember that? That was be bear market territory, which, again, remember, it, or remember is defined as a decline of 20% or more from a previous high. And on that day, on June the 13th, again, losing 3.9%, the S&P was down 21.8% from the record highs reached in early January. Now, here's something else to think about. Okay, so June the 13th, I just said, S&P was down 21.8% for the year. Once again, if you just joined us, we finished this year down nineteen point four. So, a couple percentage point improvement, but look at what this tells us is we haven't gone anywhere since summertime. Right, the market just really haven't budged. There's been a lot of a lot of gyrations, in that flusters people get some frustrates like why do I want to risk my capital in the stock market if I can't make any money and we just kind of sit there and go up and down and up and down and up and down that, that's that's where some of the frustration and then that results in selling okay so that was June the 13th so boy what a uh what a what a time period we had May we had June now let's go to our final fifth day that uh, tanked the market this year now we got a little bit of a reprieve we had to wait till we got to September September 13th to be exact S&P 500 that day Down 4.3%. On the worst day for stocks dating back to the year of 2020, we had the release of the August Consumer Price Index, CPI, again. That sent traders into the panic when the data showed that the annual headline and the core inflation were hotter than expected. Headline number came in at 8.3% for the 12 months through August. Core inflation, which strips out the food and energy, as you well know, that began to decline after earlier being the biggest driver of the year's inflation. Excuse me. Yeah, exactly. So core up 6.3. So those were the big highlights of this year. But once again, a 4% decline, and, and, and notice the similarity, You know, high threes, low fours. A 4% decline in one day, that is painful. That is very, very painful painful but when you culminate it together and you go hey a year down 20 percent once again as I discussed at the beginning of the show there's camps out there saying it could get worse next year there's others saying hey the worst is behind us because of what happened this year everything I just covered with you it's just going to be up to everybody to try to figure out you know what happens and like I said no one knows at this point don't don't commit one way or the other just kind of kind of play it close to the vest as the saying goes so let me kind of conclude on, on our five-day uh, situation here. I came up with another statistic that I thought was absolutely staggering. We had more times this year of the market trading lower than we did higher. That is a deviation From the historical trading pattern that we have seen going all the way back to World War II, where stocks typically climb more than they fall. Now, through Tuesday of this week, the S&P fell 141 trading days, including including this Tuesday. Market fell 141 trading days. Finished higher... 107 days. So once again, historically, that's not how it works. It's the other way around. You have more up days than you do down days. That's again, back to my point, this was a very, very goofy, unique type of year. See how all these stats are being kind of thrown out the wayside? So think about what you went through this year. 141 days of the market and probably your portfolio trading lower. That's a lot. That's a heck of a lot. And again, what ends up happening, you become numb to it. Even institutional managers become numb to it. It's like, Oh, here we go again. Another day of the market down, another day of the market down, another day of the market down and you become numb to it. And then you just go, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. And I think that's what a lot of people ended up doing on the retail side this year. I think there wasn't a lot of movement. Obviously, the institutions are and are you know, moving things around quite a bit. But from the individual side of things, I, I haven't really talked to anybody and you know, said, you know, they've made real dramatic moves in their portfolio. Because, again, you, you have the 107 up days, even though you had 141 down days. And on those up days, man, you're feeling good. You're thinking, you know what? Maybe the sell-off is over. Oh my gosh, you know, s and in bear market territory. It's over. Well, that optimism just did not come back into the market this year. And that's what made things so doggone hard. So to conclude on, you know, what kind of happened this year and going forward for next year. Once again, I think what you have to do is you have to sit back and you have to listen to this data and say, what did I learn from this in, in 2022? What did I learn in the markets? What did I learn in the economy? Well, once again, we substantiated the fact that this market can move very fast. We substantiated the fact that the Fed doesn't give a damn about your portfolio. They just care about inflation and jobs. We learned that money is on the shorter end of the curve. That means it can move around very quickly. We learned that the yield on the shorter end of the bond curve is now very attractive and one of the magnets of taking money away from the stock market. And I think probably everybody learned a little bit more uh, about risk tolerance. This was a year where either you were panicked and you got out or you were miserable and had a lot of sleepless nights or you just kind of wrote through the thing. So, you know, again, I want to, I want to leave you with a positive note on that, which is many traders are very excited about next year because this was such a bad year. You know, and rarely do we have multiple years of the market being down. I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but it, it doesn't happen very often as far as all of the averages. And again, this was a year where all the averages were down. Um, once again, I know some of you joined at the bottom of the hour. Let me just kind of tell you once, once again where we did it on a year-to-day basis. Dow lost 8.8% for the year. S&P was down 194 Russell down 216 And the NASDAQ down 33.1%. Um. You know, we, we had some other big things going on, like, oh, let's say Tesla, for example. What an absolutely disastrous year for that company and for the shareholders. Down over 60% on Tesla's share price this year. 60%. Some say a lot of that was attributed to Elon Musk taking his eye off the ball. We'll kind of leave that up to everybody to, you know, figure that side of it out. But I got a couple of other, uh, well, I was going to say mega tech names, but uh, I don't know if we can call them mega anymore. Some of the losses that they've incurred this year. Welcome back to the John Sanchez Show on Newstalk 780 KOH. Happy Friday to you. Happy New Year to all of you. All right. Gone over what the indexes did or indices did. Um went over the reasons behind it, some of the negative things, some of the positive things of this year, next year, some of the positive things, some of the negative things. But what about the big names, the big names that move the market? So again, before we went to break where I was saying, yeah, you know, the mega tech names, uh, boy, tough year, very tough year. So I dug up some data for you on this one. So as I'd mentioned, Tesla, which uh, actually hasn't had a bad week, I didn't Tally the numbers, but just off of memory, we've we've had a couple days uh, or three days, I think, where the stock has uh, finished on the upside. Finally, today was one of those days, up a dollar thirty six, one point one percent gain to one twenty three eighteen. But it needed that. Uh, why? Because on a uh, for the year, Tesla lost sixty five percent to be exact. All right, move over to Apple. Finished the day up thirty two cents to one twenty nine ninety three. For the year, down twenty six point eight percent. And then. Formerly Facebook, now called Meta Platforms, of course, finished the day up $0.08 to one twenty thirty four. However, finished the year down 64.2%. Pretty substantial loss numbers on the mega cap names. And again, some are saying, you know what? Let the calendar roll over to 2023, and they're going to become stocks that a lot of the institutions want to buy. And I agree with that. I've said that all along. Anytime you go through a market sell-off, look at back at the tech names, the major tech names. When the time comes, who knows if it's next week, next month, whatever, those big tech names, that's where the money will flow back to, in my opinion. So, take that. Now, let's talk sectors. Let's move, move up the, uh, the chain a little bit. 10 of the 11 S&P 500 sectors closed in the red today. We had real estate down about one percent, utilities a one percent loss. Those were the ones of the biggest uh, decline. Energy sector was the loan positive, up eight tenths of a percent. That was helped by uh, that slight increase in oil prices, which, uh, like I said, up about two percent to eighty dollars and five cents. Energy sector was the only S and P 500 sector to end the year higher, and boy, did the energy sector end the year higher, up fifty nine percent. So there you have it. You have the recap of 2022. What a year it has been. But once again, if you, you know, are looking at some red on your, your brokerage statements or when you log into your account, you got to think about the long term. You got to think about quality. You've got to think about your personal risk tolerance. Any goals that you have, they will be accomplished. You can't throw the, uh, uh, the towel in just because we had a, one bad year. And I think, again, we need to just kind of kind of tiptoe a little bit in the first quarter of next year. That's that's what I see going on because what, the, the big unknown at this point is what the Fed's going to do. That, that I don't care how many people are saying, oh, the Fed's out of the picture. No, they're not. They're at the top of the worry list at this point. And, and again, the Fed doesn't even know what they're going to do. So how can we know what they're going to do? How many more interest rate increases? And, again, what percentage or what increment? Is it a quarter percent? Is it a half a percent? Is it three quarters? And then, of course, everyone's going to be waiting with bated breath at the various news conferences that Jerome Powell has after the Fed release of the uh, of the interest rate decision. So it, it, it's going to be a fun year. That's all I can say. It's going to be a really, really fun year. But uh, once again, you, know, you need to spend this weekend if you can. And look, obviously, we're going to have some lousy weather, so we're all going to be stuck inside a little bit. Spend this weekend going over your goals, your risk tolerance, you know, what it is that you want to accomplish in 2023. And remember, this is a good time to also think back and say, you know what, as I've said many, many times, especially to many of you that, that have come to our firm and, and you know, we prepare you or help prepare you for retirement, it's not about the amount of money that you have accumulated. It's about the cash flow right? And so this is a great weekend to sit back and say, all right, year's over with. Maybe you've got retirement right around the corner. Cash flow is going to be imminent. Capital protection or capital preservation going to be very, very important to you. And those are things you need to be thinking about. It's not just about return. It's about so many other things that go along with the portfolio based upon what's going on in your life. But what I was going to say is, don't forget, you can have a nice improvement to your net worth statement. Even if the investment side didn't go up, by reducing debt. So if you're maybe you pulled some money out of the market, or maybe not, or you just have excess cash, take a look at the debt side of your personal uh, income statement. Get rid of that debt, and again, that's from a cash flow uh, perspective. That's as good as having you know money saved up and or invested, and taking a percentage of income off of that. People always forget about that. It's like, wait a minute here. Don't forget your, your bottom line of you know impact is cash flow. You want as much as you possibly can in retirement or going into retirement, either eliminate debt or again, what's harder, increase the size of your portfolio. So there's uh, many, many different ways and 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 you're seeing a lot more of that this year you're seeing you know this is, I also think was a year where people were looking at different alternatives to real estate and what I mean by not moving out of the real estate asset class but more so some of the packaged product that that, that Wall Street offers, uh, looking at that because of more liquidity and and various things along those lines um I think one thing the other point i want to kind of throw in here real quickly before uh, we get out is. I think next year is going to be a very interesting year from a sector perspective. Um, if you don't own per- sectors inside of your portfolio, take a look at them. Take a look at, you know, maybe adding a few of them or, you know, there is nothing wrong. And we, we've ran, we don't have one currently, but uh, in years past, we've ran an entire portfolio of just, you know, sectors. And I tell you, it's, it's you know, a year like this where you've got one sector, uh, the, the energy sector, as I mentioned, up 59%. I tell you what, that can really, really dampen the losses of the other sectors that are out there, the the other 10. So I think sectors are going to be very interesting in 2023, because again, people are going to be still a little bit nervous, at least in the first quarter of the year, going to be a little bit nervous about buying individual names. So once again, they, they look at the sector side of things and and decide, look, I can get the diversification and, and the movement that I want, et cetera, looking at those you know, different areas. Remember, there's 11 sectors to the S&P 500. So bottom line, there's a lot of ways to make money. And I wish each and every one of you a very healthy, happy, prosperous 2023. And I sure appreciate being with you. God bless. Have a great weekend. This has been the John Sanchez Show. News Talk 780 KOH. On air, online, on demand. News Talk 780 KOH.